You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who are visiting, my name is Tom Rossi, one of the members here at River City Church, and uh, just excited to have the opportunity to be able to speak. This morning, we're going to talk about um, finances. We're going to talk about money. And I was thinking about this morning, like what my experience with the church and money, what that kind of looked like in the past. And I just remembered this funny story of when I, when I first became a Christian, um, I became a Christian at a, uh, at a church of a certain denomination. I won't mention the denomination, but I, it rhymes with trappedist. Um, so I go to this, I go to this church and I, and I become a Christian. I have this radical experience of, of coming to Christ and I'm so fired up and it's changing everything about my life. And I remember I got a package in the mail from the church and I'm thinking, this is so cool. Like, what is this going to be? Like, like a special Bible or special Jesus instrument that you don't find out about until you become a Christian or a believer. And I open it up. Does anybody know what it is? It's, it's a box of 52 envelopes. <laughs> so that you, and I ask, I ask somebody, I say, hey, I got this, I got this box. Like what? And they're like, well, they want to make sure it's easy for you to be able to, to give your tithe. I was like, oh, okay, that was, that's weird. So we all have different experiences of what our experience with the church is like. And so if you're not a member of River City Church, if you're visiting, we want you to know that kind of our philosophy, like every church, every church has its own distinctives. Where's Nate Day? Every church has its own distinctives. And one of our distinctives is really emphasizing the freedom that Christ has come to give us. And so that's no difference when we talk about finances. We want to talk about God's heart for us and how he wants to set us free and how that relates in the area of our finances. And so this morning, what we're going to be doing is looking at a scripture where Paul is writing uh, to one of the churches that he planted, and he's giving them advice about uh, the finances. So before we do that, let me just pray and invite him in to this, uh, to this time. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to read your word and to know your thoughts. And we love the way that you have pursued us, the way that you have established us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his work on the cross. We thank you for giving us your spirit that guides us and leads us. And we pray that we would receive from him right now, God, that he would be the one to direct us. And God, I pray for freedom this morning. I pray for more freedom, that there would be no area, there would be no tie, there would be no chain that binds us, that we would be set free. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a a passage. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's writing to this young church pastor who he's helped plant this church, and he's writing to encourage him. And he has in, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. In chapter 6, he's, he's talking to him about money and how to preach on money and how to deal with people in the church about money. And so there's a lot in here for us. So let's take a look. Let's put it up. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. And so Paul has just been, um, he's actually just been released from jail when he writes this letter. And he's just been talking to Timothy. Right before we jump into this, he's just been talking to him about other people who are somewhat abusing uh, the gospel. They're preaching it in such a way, and they're trying to, to say that godliness will somehow lead to financial gain. 
that somehow they're going to have a financial gain by pursuing uh, Jesus. And I think this is particularly funny when you think about that Paul had just gotten out of jail and (laughs) has nothing, right? You look at the apostles. They did not do so well financially. Their portfolios uh, at the end of their apostle careers did not look so great, Um, But in in any way, what he's doing is he's saying, look, this is going on in the church. You need to know about it. It says you need to know that that this is going on. But, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There is a great gain of godliness with contentment. Godliness being a faith relationship with God, this new way of living. There is a great gain from living out of that place of what Christ has done, the righteousness that comes through what Christ has done for us, this godliness that we receive through the work of Christ, combined with contentment. In his letter to the Philippians, he would kind of define contentment for us. When Paul wrote Philippians, he said this, he says, I've learned the secret to be content, whatever the circumstances. And this is something you want to listen to because Paul has seen some crazy circumstances. We're talking shipwrecks, jail, having nothing. And he says, I have learned the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So Paul, when he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, he's contrasting it with what he's just been talking about. It's not about financial gain. It's about the gain of of, of being with the Lord, about being with God. It's in contrast to that financial gain. There is a great gain, and we should be pursuing that great gain. The life that is truly life, the God-designed abundant life, has nothing to do with the amount of stuff that we have, right? We brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. So he's making this point that there is this great gain that can be found through godliness and contentment. And he says, he points to the amount of stuff that we have and says that that doesn't really make us happy. That really doesn't make us even content. That doesn't do anything for us. Jesus, at one point, he tells a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Sounds like a retirement commercial, right? Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This is a picture of what we are sold in terms of what we would do. Man, I got this great crop. What should I do? Charles Schwab tell me, how should I plan? These retirement commercials drive me crazy, right? I want to make sure I maintain the lifestyle that I have now when I retire, right? Well, build yourself a bigger barn to put all your stuff in. That's going to make you happy. That's going to bring you contentment. Contentment. That's going to give you great gain. 
And, Paul, and, and Jesus and Paul both are making the point, that's not going to make you happy. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But the society that we live in, we're surrounded by things that we don't have. Our entire culture is inundated with advertising, right? Look, I am, I'm a computer guy. I'm a web guy. I know if you want to make money on the web, advertising. Advertising. Why? Because it's, our, it's everywhere. It's in all the things that we do, we see advertising. And what does advertising do? It highlights something you don't have. So, so I don't have cable, and I watch, but I do watch TV. Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those freaks that don't watch TV. Come on. So, but I watch streaming. I watch streaming, right? And so one of the drawbacks of watching streaming is uh, especially uh, uh, one of my favorite shows is Star Wars Rebels, which everyone should watch, whether you have children or not. Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, one of the drawbacks of watching this show is that you will see the same, like, three commercials over and over again, right? Has anyone experienced this in streaming? Or God forbid you watch a Gator game on Watch ESPN, you will see the same three commercials for the entire game. By the end of it, you, you want to bash your head into a wall. Was that too violent? So Disney, I'm watching Star Wars Rebels with my kids, and they're seeing the same commercials. The first time they see the commercial, they're like, oh, that, and they're, you know, some toy. And they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. I would never want that toy. Next time they see the commercial, eh, it looks kind of cool. <laughs> By the end of the episode, they're on Amazon trying to figure out how much it costs and whether or not they can buy it. That's us. That's us. We see stuff and we're like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then it's like, oh, well, it's kind of cool. And then somebody we know gets it and we're like, oh, well, he's got it. And then, next thing you know, we want it. We need it. It goes from a bucket of, I want this to, I need it. I need more stuff. Just give me that stuff that I've seen that I really want. I see that. That's me. Maybe it's just me. But here's the thing. After we get it, (laughs) my kids, I see this. It's horrible. So then, you know, they'll actually, they'll use their savings. I'll tell them, if you want to buy it, it's your money. Like, I'm not, you have to buy that with your own money. They get it. And you know what's going to happen. They get it. They play with it for like two hours. And they're like, eh. It doesn't really make them happy. It makes them happy for just a little bit of time. Do you know that uh, Forbes ran an article and they were talking about money and happiness and psychologists actually have a name for that. It's called hedonic adaptation. It's a big name. It's a big name. And all it means is when we get something that we think we want, we don't like it. Like very quickly, it wears off. Very quickly, it doesn't give us any lasting happiness, right? But you don't need psychologists and you don't need hedonic adaptation. You can look at the parables of Jesus, He said, your life will not be more full. You will not experience abundance by having more stuff. That's not going to make you happy. Even in a secular society, even in Forbes magazine, they can link depression to the amount of stuff that we buy. I just got back from an incredible trip to Africa with Overland Missions. And we're in the middle of nowhere, like with people that will never see a city. They will never I mean, they might see a tar road, but they're never going to get inside of a city. They live in huts, they're hiking for water, and they smile the whole time. They are so happy. They're, so, they're genuinely happy. So man's life does not consist in the abundance that we have. We will not be more happy with more stuff. And we also, yeah, I know that. Intellectually, we know that. But we live our lives in such a way that we're, we are pursuing those things. In Africa, they're smiling. Here, our homes get bigger, right? Our families get smaller. Not the Rossies. We're doing our part. We have four 
children, so we're, we're trying to bring up the average. We've invented an entire industry in, in America for self-storage. Do you know how many billions of dollars that industry is worth? It didn't exist 10 years ago. But now it's everywhere. You can't go anywhere without seeing some kind of storage. Why? Well, because we have to put all of our stuff somewhere. And I can't fit it in my house. So I need a bigger barn to be able to put it in. And Jesus says it's not going to make you happy. The stuff that we need is being confused with the stuff that we're told that we need. Now I have the advantage, right, where I did college and career ministry at River City for a while. And so a lot of the, the, those younger people are starting to get married. And so I get to do their, their weddings and we do premarital counseling. And in premarital counseling, one of the things we talk about is the budget, right? Because everyone has a budget, right? Every married couple has a budget, I'm sure. So we talk about the budget and you have this conversation about what are your needs. And inevitably, it leads to a little bit of conflict. What are your needs? Internet? Cable? Starbucks? Restaurant? These are all things that show up on the budget. And so you have to figure out what are the things that we really need and what are the things that we want. God says, give us our daily bread. Some of us, it's the same thing. Inside of, of, uh, of premarital counseling, we talk, about, we talk about budgets. One of the other things that we talk about are roles and responsibilities. Okay, this is usually a knockdown, drag out. Tears will be shed. Somebody will be hurt in this conversation where we talk about who's responsible for what. So these are things that, that couples don't really talk about <laughs> usually until they're married. And then at that point, it's not a talk, it's, it's a fight. And so what I try to do is get that fight to happen earlier than later, <laughs> you know? So um, you have this conversation about roles and responsibility and who's going to do what. And, and, and inevitably, the man or the woman will say about the man that he will be the provider, that he'll be the provider. And so then I ask the question, well, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to the man? What, what do you think it means when you say, I will be the provider? Well, you know, I'm going to make sure that we have a house. Okay, how big of a house? Well, you know, I want all my kids to have their own bedroom. Uh, I want to, you know, I want my kids to be able to, to you know, have a college fund. I want, I want cars for them when they're 16. I want cell phones. I want a garage. You know, like all of a sudden, all these things, be, and they, they associate it with their role as the provider, And so what happens is now there's all this pressure on them. That's the way they see themselves. If I'm a good husband, I will provide all of these different things. I will make sure that my family has all of this stuff because that's my role as husband. And sometimes it's it's the wife who says, well, no, if you are a good provider, you're going to give me these things. You will make sure that you give me these things. You're not going to quit that job. Uh Uh-uh, no, 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 no. Because I need you to give me this stuff. I really need that stuff. That's not healthy. That's not a good way to pursue abundant life. So we have, to, we have to wonder, this image that's being sold to us, not just of the stuff that we need, but of the lifestyle that we have to have. That, look, everyone needs this. Everyone should have this. And so now that becomes, oh, well, I'm not a good parent. I'm not a good parent. I used to do ministry at this one school, and I had these, these kids, and it was like their parents were just not there. It was amazing. We'd go over their house. We'd have events. We'd have Young Life stuff at their house, everything. And the parents were never there. And they were always working. Both of them worked. And what would happen is the, the, the kids just had the run of the show. And I remember thinking, the parents probably think that they're providing for these kids, but they just want their parents. They just want them to be around, but they're not. 
So I think this is something that we have to struggle with as a society. We have to struggle with as Christians who say, I want to follow after Christ and I want a lifestyle that leads to abundant life. It's not in the amount of possessions that we have. It's not in all the things that we have. For some of us, it's that struggle in that career that we're in, that job that we think, think that we have to keep, even though it sucks the life out of us. We think we have to keep it. Why? Because I need to pay for all my stuff. If you saw my credit card bill, if you saw all the maintenance of the things that I have, you'd know I cannot quit this job. You know what that is? Slavery. You're a slave. Jesus wants us to be free. When he talks about money, he is saying, I want you to be free. I have come to set you free from your stuff. What does it look like? Jesus is always working to set us free. All the, you go back all the way to Moses. God is working to set his people free for the purpose of worshiping him. Why? Because in worshiping him, we experience abundant life. Things fall into line. Priorities come into to, to, to line. Jesus wants to set us free so that we're not enslaved to our stuff. Ecclesiastes, he says, the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Paul, in just a second, he says, rich people have pierced themselves, pierced themselves with many griefs. The stuff you own ends up owning you. That's Tyler Durden from Fight Club. That's not from the Bible, but that's, (laughs) it's a good quote. (laughs) Andy Stanley makes the point that if you think back right now, if you think back in your life of when you were the most happy, it's probably not related at all to the amount of stuff that you had. When you look back and you go, man, when, when when, when did I really feel that just contentment, that just happiness, just, you know what I mean? In your marriage, in your relationships, what, when was it? It probably wasn't when you had the most stuff. It's probably when you were struggling to make ends meet, when you were in it together. I mean, I remember when I, I used to brag that I could fit everything I owned in my Hyundai, and I didn't want it any other way. It's like, if I couldn't fit it in the Hyundai, I didn't buy it, right? Because I need to be able to move, right? When you think back, when, when is it that you felt that way? If we really want, if we really want to experience freedom the way that life is designed to be lived, we have to be free from our stuff. Okay, continuing on in his letter to Timothy, he says this. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, I'm trying to focus our time this morning on looking at freedom. How does Paul, how does Jesus preach about this aspect of experiencing freedom from our finances, not being bound up in it? And in this passage, what we see is this picture just plainly to me points to debt. What he's saying is plunging men into ruin and destruction, plunge as if to cause drowning. What he's saying is, Greed is debt. Is debt. This is something that we knowingly put ourselves in. We knowingly pursue. Right now, statistically, half of you, half of the church, has $15,000 in credit card debt. 
Half of you have no debt on credit cards. The other half, $15,000. This is credit card. This isn't student loan. This isn't uh, your house or your car. This is credit card debt. This is your Starbucks, your Best Buy. It's some purchase that you did on a credit card. Man, why do we have a financial class at River City Church? Why do we care about helping people with their finances? Is it so we can make more money so the church can improve their bottom line? We don't have a bottom line, but yeah, yeah. Or is it because we want to set people free? We want to set people free from debt. Why? Because it pierces men with many greaves. It plunges them into ruin and destruction. And what happens, this is what's crazy, is that you cannot get away from it, right? If you go to check out at Target, they're going to offer you a credit card. You can't go anywhere. In our society, we've totally accepted plunging ourselves into debt. We've totally accepted, hey, why pay for it now? I just saw there's a new Walmart commercial this Christmas of how you can go into debt for Christmas. Woohoo! Nothing says Jesus like debt. Paul at one point says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So the next time you're going through that line at Target and they say, would you like a credit card today? You say, I will not. Jesus has set me free. Get behind me, Satan. No. Something along those lines. That's what Paul says. It is for freedom that you've been set free. It's for freedom that I've been set free. Get behind me, target person. <laughs> Continuing. So then Paul goes into a passage where he talks about, um, where he talks about godliness. He kind of paints that picture. And then he gets to this in, in uh, verse 17. He says, command those who are rich. Command those <laughs> who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is telling this young pastor to command those that are rich, command them, tell them. Don't encourage them. Don't, eh, you know, mention it in a sermon. He says, command them. Why? Because it's not natural. It's not their natural inclination. And you're like, yeah, the rich really need to hear that. Well, who are the rich? Who are the rich? Would we consider ourselves rich? How many of us are wondering where our next meal would come from? Or struggle with how we're going to pay for a place to stay, right? I don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm just telling you, you're rich. You should feel good. I'm telling you, you're rich. When you look across the whole world, if you own a house, whoa, that's amazing, right? I own a house. I have a house. I have a car. I have, a car. I have two cars. And I have, I have a house for my cars. I have, Right? I, I was just in, in Africa where they're, where they're hiking to go get, get water. And in my house, I can turn a lever and water comes out. And guess what? I have more than one. Because I don't want to walk into the other room to get the water. So I, I have water in multiple rooms. And, and twice a week, 
I take my water and I just shoot it all over the grass. Because I like green grass. You see what I'm saying? When he says command those that are rich, we all think of someone else. We all think, oh, I'm not rich. Because you'll never be rich. Right? And someone's always more rich than you. But he's talking about us. He's saying command those that are rich. Command them not to put their hope in their wealth. And nobody would say, nobody, oh, my hope is in my wealth. No one would say, I love money. Even the most money lovers here, you would not say that. You wouldn't say, I love money. You wouldn't say, I want to put my hope in there. This is what you would say. You'd say, I just love the freedom that money gives me. Does that sound familiar? Don't look at anyone. (laughs) I just love the freedom that money gives me. Or I just love the safety, security, and protection that money gives me. That's dangerous. Anybody with money should tell you that. How much money do you need to feel safe? More than you have. (laughs) You will never have enough. You will never be safe enough with enough money. So much so that Paul says, command them. Don't put your hope in your wealth because you will not be safe. You will not be secure. You will never have enough and you will live an anxious life. Oh, but then there's the Christian way. I like the Christian way. Christian says, I'm just trying to be a good steward. I'm just trying to be a good steward. That's how Christians get around not sounding, you know, like those pagan folks and their money. I'm just trying to be a good steward. And typically, that's almost always when we're doing something that's not very Jesus-like. It's almost very, very much so when we're trying to, 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 to have a, a reason for why it's okay to not use that money in some way or another. If we put our hope in Christ, what does it look like? He doesn't want us to put our hope in wealth. John Piper says it this way, the root of all evil is that we are the kind of people who will settle for the love of money instead of the love of God. That we will settle for that. Jesus at one point says, you can't serve both masters. Of all the things for him to talk about, we're talking about what, first century Palestine? Like there's no Apple store. What are these people freaked out about? Like what's going on with money then? There's no slickdeals.net. There's no, no advertising. And yet, and yet, when he has this conversation with him, he knows the root of all evil is the love of money and that, that no one can serve two masters. He knows it's, it's true then, just like it was, it's true now. And money is a horrible, horrible taskmaster for us to be a slave to. He wants us to be free. The Bible's filled with warnings about putting our hope and our wealth. Proverbs, I like this Proverbs one. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. (laughs) I love the picture. I appreciate that. He doesn't want our hopes to be in anything but himself. He's the only thing worthy of our hope. God wants us to experience the life that is truly life, and that only happens when we are in balance. For example, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a great, right? God says he works for six days and he takes a day off. God takes a day off. And he says, you need to take a day off. So much so, I'm going to make it a commandment. I'm going to make it a commandment. And then somebody goes, you need to take a day off. And next thing you know, the Sabbath becomes what? A law. It becomes something to try to beat up Jesus. Remember, they try to beat up Jesus about it. Jesus, you just did that on the Sabbath. You're supposed to be resting. 
something that God intended for a blessing. He says, look, I know you people. You will work yourselves to the bone. You will think that it's all about production. You will think that it's all about your work. And I want you to take 14% of your week and give it to him. I want you to take 14% of your week and do nothing. I know it looks stupid. As an American, surely there's something you can do on Sunday to be productive. And God says, I don't want you to do anything productive. I want you to take a day and I want you to rest because I know your nature and left to your own devices, you will not take a break. You will not rest and you will not experience the life that I have for you. You won't experience abundant life, the life that is truly life. But we turn it in to a command. The Lord says you must give him 14% of your week. The Lord says you must not work on the Sabbath. You see where I'm going with this? The tithe. The tithe. It's a great way to beat people up. You need to give 10%. Is that really what the Lord says? Or is he saying, I know your nature, people. I know the way you love money. I know the way that you're going to be drawn to it. I know you're going to be drawn to these things. And so as a result, take the first fruits of what you make. Take the first fruits of your income. Take the first fruits and do not use it for yourself. Give it away. It's not about where the money's going. It's about the fact that your heart will become corrupt if you don't do this. And I know you, I know you, and I want what's best for you, and I want the life that I have for you. So just like the Sabbath, I want you to take the first fruits of your labor, and I want you to dedicate it to me. I want you to give it away. So when some people say that we're commanded to give 10% to the church, right? Never mind that the church is the body of Christ, and it's chosen to be the instrument of transformation in the world and that the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's not why we give to the church. We give to the church because of our own hearts to declare my hope is not in this. My hope is not in my finances and I want to be free from that. And because of that, I don't want anything to do with this. I want to give it to you. I want it out. I want to give it to you and show you the Sabbath is the least productive week, day of the week, right? Think about that. But when we give away our money, what are we thinking about? How it's going to work for us. What's it going to do? What's that money going to do? <laughs> it's almost like God saying, do, do you not remember? It's about you. It's about your heart. It's about getting set free. As a grace-loving New Testament church, we know that it's not about the law. We know it's not about rules and regulations, but it's about freedom, and it's about our hearts. God doesn't want us to be bound up in the area of giving. We should be generous. We should be generous. Think about that. He says that, that we should do good, that we should be rich in good deeds, and that we should be generous and willing to share. If you really want to know if you struggle with the love of money, look at how generous you are. Look at how generous you ask somebody who's going to be honest with you. Am I a generous person? Am I generous? Take a look at how you spend your finances. I read this article, that same article in Forbes, and they were talking about this uh, guy at Harvard Business School, and he did this test, or he did an experiment where he was trying to figure out, because there's no correlation between the amount of money people have and their happiness. And so he's trying to figure out correlations. And so what he does is he takes a control group that he gives a, a, an envelope with some cash, and he says, go, buy yourself something you like. 
And he takes another group and he gives them a stack of, of money in an envelope and says, go buy something for somebody else. What do you think happened? All the people that went and bought something for somebody else came back and they did a, an indication at the beginning and an indication at the end of how happy they are. What do you think happened? They were more happy by giving away, by being generous. Even a secular article in Forbes magazine, a Harvard Business School professor, nothing against Harvard, I'm just saying, can see the truth that God has designed us to be generous. God has designed us, and that's where we find life. That's where we find life, is being generous in the things that we have. And we should know it more than anybody else if you're in the church, because we're the image bearers. I look like Jesus. I look like God. I carry his, his characteristics with me. And he's gracious. He gives to those who don't deserve it. That's the way we should live our lives. We should reflect that nature of God in the way that we handle our finances. He sows where he doesn't reap. He just plants with no expectation of getting something in return. He gives to those who don't deserve it. I am so glad that Jesus was not a good steward with his grace. Does that make sense? I am so glad that he gave generously to somebody who didn't deserve it. Do you honestly think, I, I, I mean, I was there, definitely. When I first became a Christian, I'm crazy Christian. That's when you're like, you're like picking up the homeless, throwing them in your car. You're doing, like you'll do whatever and everything. And then you're going to run across the Christian who's been a much more mature Christian than you. He's going to go, well, you know, if you give them money, they're just going to go get drunk. So you're better off, you know, giving the money somewhere else. And what that really means is you're better off just holding on to your cash, Right? Do you honestly think that when you come before Jesus, he's going to go, man, whew, remember that money you gave to that guy? Just got drunk. <laughs> Hope you're happy. Hope you're happy. Right? Do you think he's going to go, man, you are a horrible steward? Do you think he'd say that? When you think about the parable of the talents, Who's, the, who's the, the bad one? The bad one is the one who buries it. He doesn't even take a risk. I'm not saying, don't you hear me? I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying that we should be more generous than we are and we need to be careful of Christianese that has made its way into our church in the way of stewardship that actually makes us horrible Jesus followers. Because when we're standing before Jesus, he's going to say, what risks did you take with what I gave you? Were you generous? Did you reflect my grace? Did you give to somebody who didn't deserve it? And you knew didn't deserve it. And you didn't control it. And you didn't like, hey, in order, if I'm going to give this to you, you need to go do this, this, and this. I want you to read this Bible. I need you to read this verse. Or did you just give it to them the way that I gave it to you? Because there's plenty of people that Jesus died for that have not responded to the call, that have not received his goodness. That's who we reflect. That's what we should be after. In our finances, we should be generous, not hiding behind these Christianese, giving with strings attached. Jesus, at one point, talks about pagans who love those. He's like, even the pagans love the people that love them back. Even the pagans love them that give them back. So when we give with some expectation of getting something in return, he's like, even the pagans do that. What about giving when there's no expectation in return? This is hard for me, right? I'm a business guy. So like, I want to make sure I get my tax benefit, all right? I want to make sure I get the tax receipt, 
So the right hand doesn't even know about the left, but I need to get the tax receipt from what I'm doing, right? And you can see how that holds me back. And I have to slap myself and say, you remember the sermon you preached? You can't do that. Be generous. And sometimes that means you don't get a tax receipt. That means sometimes you do it in spite of it. That means sometimes you don't have time to go buy the guy a sandwich and you're just giving him money because you want to be generous. If we really want to experience freedom and the life the way that God's designed it, we have to be free. Free from our stuff. Free from our debt. And free from the love of money. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you in this area of our lives. We need you in this area of our lives. It is so tempting. It is so tempting to chase after all the things that are out there that our world has to offer. It is so tempting. And we need you to set us free from our stuff, set us free from our debt. Set us free from our love of money. We want to be set free to worship you this morning. Help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to seek your rulership and your reign. Help us to come and set us free so that we can worship you. You're the only thing worth putting our hope in. We declare that this morning.